Good morning, church. We are in week number two of our series, All In, which is about the power of partnership. And last week, we talked about an important biblical term, the term covenant, which is really another word for partnership. And we saw last week that God is a covenant God, that he is committed to us. And when we put our faith in Christ, when we enter into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, we are a covenant people. We are in covenant relationship with God because of Jesus and the work that he did for us on the cross. And we are called to live in covenant community with one another. We're called to be committed to each other, to the church that God has, has died for and is, is building. He's called us to be in covenant with one another. And we looked at an important verse, Philippians 1.5, where the apostle Paul is speaking to the church in Philippi says, man, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. And I'm always praying for you. And one of the reasons why I'm so thankful for you is because of Philippians 1 verse 5. He says, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, that you have partnered with me in this work of the good news of the gospel. And that's what we're talking about in this series. It's, it's really all about calling all of us into a deeper commitment with the local church, calling us to be all in, whether that's here at Friendship or all in with another church, another good gospel preaching church. The point is, the thing that God has called us to is to be committed to his church family in the local location. So again, whether that's friendship, whether that's somewhere else, what I'm calling us to as followers of Jesus, as covenant people to a covenant God with one another is to be committed, to be all in. And as we work through 2020 and into 2021, man, there's nothing better that we could do. There's nothing more helpful, more grounding, more stabilizing in our lives than to root ourselves deeper, to dig deeper, to be more committed to the family, the faith family that God has called us to. And so that is what this, this sermon series is, is all about. You know, a covenant between two parties is a beautiful thing. You know, uh, one of my favorite things to do as a pastor is to marry people, is to perform a, a wedding ceremony. Now, I know a lot of pastors don't love that, um, but I, I, I do. <laughs> uh, my wife and I worked in the wedding industry for a number of years, filming weddings. Uh, so we were on the other side of the camera doing this, filming folks as they would you know, go through one of the most joyous uh, occasions in their entire life. And, and I love a, a good wedding. I love a wedding ceremony. I love especially um, you know, a wedding where two Christ followers are uniting their lives together uh, and they're making a covenant with one another. And, and that covenant isn't just between two parties, it's between three parties. It's between a, a man and a woman and the God uh, that they are committing themselves to, to one another and to God. And my favorite part, really the, the, really the, the climactic part of a wedding ceremony is the vows. And, and so I, I just want to read you a sample. You know, in, earlier this year, I performed a wedding for uh, one of our great couples, Dan and Sandra uh, Vinson. And, uh, you know, we, we did this in the middle of a pandemic and uh, it, was, it was fun to do this wedding. So I'm, I'm, I'm using their names 
to fill in because I want to read you what I, what I read, what I have them repeat after me as we work through the vows, which is really the, the crux of a covenant. It's this promise, this commitment to one another. And before you get to the vows, there's what I would call the declaration of intent, where each, um, each, each party is, is declaring that I understand some things about this covenant and I will give myself to these things. So here's how it reads in, in my wedding ceremonies. Dan, speaking to the groom, Dan, understanding that God has created, ordered, and blessed the covenant of marriage, will you give yourself fully to Sandra? Now, a lot of wedding ceremonies, it would say, you know, I do. I like the term, I will, because this is an ongoing, it's not just a one time, I'm doing this now. It's I will from this point on. So will you give yourself fully to Sandra to be her husband? Will you love her? Comfort her, honor and protect her, and forsaking all others, be faithful to her as long as you both shall live. If so, say, I will. And you see what, what the groom and, you know, in a, in a moment in the ceremony, it's the, 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 the bride as well. They're saying, I understand what this covenant is all about. I understand my part in it, and I will give myself to fulfilling this covenant. I will give myself to this other person. And then at this point, after they've declared their intent, they will exchange vows with one another. So they'll, they'll, this first declaration of intent, they're, they're covenanting with God. And the second part, they're covenanting with each other. And here to the groom, repeat after me is how this process works. I, Dan, take you, Sandra, to be my wedded wife. And then he repeats these vows to his bride to be... I understand my God-given responsibilities to you and promise both you and God that I will faithfully carry them out. From this day forward, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the cost, I will love you as Christ loved the church. And to this, I give you and the Lord my word. And those are the vows. I... I, I I give myself, so I've, I've declared my intent. I've said, I understand the covenant. I, I, I will do this. God, I promise this. And then you speak to your, 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 your spouse-to-be and say, I give myself fully to you. And this is an incredible moment. This is, this is a, a covenant being entered into between two parties and between God saying, I understand, I will give myself to it, I will give myself fully to you. And it's a beautiful thing. This is what a covenant is all about. And so a marriage covenant is, is understandably not to be entered into lightly. And I know in 2020, marriage is, is not revered or respected or honored like it used to be. But it's, this covenant is still a sacred, holy thing, and it, it, it's not to be entered into lightly. Neither is it to be ended or exited lightly. To cut off a covenant is a significant thing. Now, granted, we are sinners, and granted, there is forgiveness 
and grace and new beginnings in Christ. Hallelujah. Uh, but understand that covenants primarily aren't, aren't about a contract with penalties if you, if you break your end of the, of the bargain. No, it's about this ongoing commitment and it's about this ongoing intimacy and commitment between two parties. And this is why covenants are beautiful. And this is why I'm calling us to a higher level of commitment to the local church. I'm calling us to covenant relationship, this deep, intimate commitment between one another. You know, it comes to dating, dating and marriage. You can, you can have fun and you can enjoy a dating relationship, but nothing compares. Listen, for a guy who's been married for 21 years, nothing compares to committed covenant marriage. You know, dating is fun and then the, you know, the kind of freedom that comes with that to be able to, you know, figure things out and not take things so seriously and just be able to feel things out, see where they go. That's great and it can be fun not to be committed, but man, there's nothing that compares to an ongoing, growing, committed covenant marriage where you grow deeper in love and in commitment to one another that you fight through the battles and you, you work things out and you learn to love one another better, man, there's nothing that compares to that. And as a consumer, contributor of the church, man, you will enjoy some blessings and you will enjoy some benefits. And it's good to be able to, you know, check out a church and to be able to feel things out and to see if this is the right fit. Is this God where you're calling us to? And you can enjoy some great benefits and blessings by contributing or even just consuming in the church. But again, y'all, there's nothing that compares. There's nothing better than committed covenant partnership between you and God's church to be committed. And so over the next two weeks, this week and then next week, I want to talk about or explore the covenant commitments between, you know, from each party. So today we're going to talk about the church, the church's commitment to its partners or her partners. And then next week we're going to talk about partners, every single partner, the commitment of partners to the church. And so we're going to look at each, each side of this. So today, the church to, to partners. And I want to look at a, a passage in Colossians chapter 1. And I want to draw all of this out here from the church to partners. Colossians 1, 24 to 29. What is the church's commitment to its gospel partners? What does the church commit to do? What are the vows that are the, the, the what's the intent that a church has committed to its, its, its partners? Well, let's look at Colossians 1, starting in verse 24. Paul writing to this group of believers, a church, and he says this, Colossians 1, verse 24, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is, the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. 
To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And so what Paul does here is he, he expresses to the church really his ministry, what his ministry as a, the representative of the church, what is his ministry to the people? What is his commitment? What is his goal and job and duty and, and ministry to the church? And so what I want to do is take these next few minutes and I'm going to look at the, the church's commitment to its gospel partner. So that's, that's those of us that represent the leadership of God's church at Friendship. This is what we're saying is our commitment to you, the partners or the people who would, who would pony up and say, we want to join, we want to be members or partners of this particular church. So there's seven things. Everything good and complete, there's seven of, because seven is the number of perfection or completeness in the scripture. So there's seven things that I want to just draw out uh, briefly over these next few minutes from Colossians 1, 24 to 29, when it comes to our commitment, our intent. Our, this is our declaration of intent as the church. Number one, it's to do this. It's to serve the people. To serve the people, verse 25 Paul says, of, uh, speaking about the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you. He says, I'm, I'm a minister. The, the word minister, another word for that is, is literally servant. A, a minister is someone who serves. And Paul says, the role that I've been entrusted with, I've been appointed by God as, as, as a minister, as a servant of the church. This is the stewardship, the responsibility that God has given me for you. It's to serve you. It's to be a servant, to serve the people. And this is a really simple point, but it, it, it's, it bears repeating and reminding myself, every, everyone who represents the church, the leadership of the church, our primary responsibility is to serve the people. It's to serve Christ. It's to serve you, to be a servant. It's not to entertain you. you, know, you know, and, and even doing this, what I'm doing, preaching, can seem like um, you know, to be on a stage or be on a platform feels like it could be a performance. It could be to entertain. It could be to please the people. And when we, we think you know, when we go to something where somebody is elevated on a stage, I'm coming for you to give to me and for you to entertain me and all. And that's kind of our mindset because because we're used to that. We're used to seeing people on a stage elevated and it's as if we're kind of underneath them. But the role of a pastor, the role of a preacher, the, re, the role of even preaching is, is not to entertain you and it's not to please you. It's to serve you. It's to help you. It's to minister to you. You know, one of my prayers every week before I preach is, is Lord, purify my heart. And I go through this same prayer every single week and I pray, Lord, help me not to get caught up in trying to, 
to please people or to gain approval from, from people, which is honestly easy to do, to get caught up in. But Lord, help me to remember that I, I want to serve these people. I want to help them. I want to be a blessing to them. Do I want to engage them? Yes. Do I want them to, to find me mildly humorous? Yes. Do I want them to be bored? No, none of those things. But God, help me to remember that you're calling me to serve these people. And by preaching, by working at, at delivering the word of God to them, I'm trying to serve them. And so the church, our, our commitment is, man, we want to serve you. And that's what Paul says. Here, here's the second thing. To make the word of God fully known. To make the word of God fully known. And what you'll see through these is these all kind of overlap um, amongst one another. But Paul says in verse 25, Which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. To make the word of God fully known. Now, as church people, as people of God, we believe that the Word of God is alive and it's living and active and it's powerful. Hebrews 4.12, uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17. We believe that, as the Bible says, that all Scripture is breathed out by God. In other words, it literally comes from, these are the words of God to us. And they're profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. The Word of God is all of these things for us, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That we need the Word of God, that it's the thing that helps us to grow and become mature and, and, and righteous and complete and equipped to do every good work that He's called us to do. We need the Word of God to shape us and to mold us and to help us to think rightly and to live righteously. We need the Word of God for that. And if we really believe that, we are people of the book, then the goal of the church and the, the pastors and leaders of the church is to help make the Word of God fully known. It's to serve you. And the greatest way we could do that is to serve up the Word of God for you. And so when I look at my role as a pastor and a preacher, one of my primary roles is every week to try to serve up this meal, this goodness of the, the Word of God to you so that you could taste and see that the Lord is good. And by His Word, it'll shape the way you think. It'll shape your heart's affections. It'll, it'll, it'll conform you to the image of Christ and help you to become the man or woman that God has called you to be. And so it's to make the Word of God fully known. Acts chapter 20, you know, this idea is repeated. Paul says, verse 26, Therefore I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Paul says, hey, your blood is not on my hands. I have given you what you need. I have given you all of the whole counsel of God. I didn't shrink back from, from the, the difficult parts of it. I didn't give you just the easy, fluffy stuff. I gave you the meat and the milk. I gave you all of the stuff, the whole counsel of God. I didn't avoid the difficult. I didn't avoid the tedious. Man, I served it all up to you because it all, it's all given, breathed out by God, and we need all of it to shape us and help us to become who God has called us to be. 
And so sometimes I'm going to talk about, and, and hopefully you've seen my willingness to do this already, to tackle the difficult, the tough, the uncomfortable. I just spent the last few weeks before the series doing that. The most uncomfortable thing in the world for me is to talk about politics as a pastor, but I felt like we got to tackle these things because the scripture speaks to these things. And, and, and next week, I wanna, I'm going to speak to something that's difficult to talk to again. And I'm, I'm, I'm do my best to, and as a church, we're going to do our best not to shrink back from that because we all need the whole counsel of the Word of God. And so to serve the people is commitment number one. Commitment two is to make the Word of God fully known. Number three, it's to proclaim Christ. To proclaim Christ, verse number 28 you know, verses 26 and 27, it's talking about this mystery that's been revealed, that God has made known. It's this mystery uh, of Christ in you, the hope of glory. And speaking of Christ, verse 28, Him we proclaim. To proclaim is to declare, it's to, it's to announce, it's to put out there. It's, 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 it's an incredible thing to put the name of Christ out in front of you. And that is our job as the church, it's to proclaim Christ. First Corinthians two, Paul, in speaking about how he came to the Corinthian church, he, he said he felt this pressure of trying to come and to be um, you know, wise and charming and to, to present the preaching of the word of God in a way that appealed to the people, and yet he says in 1 Corinthians 2, when I came to you, brothers, I didn't come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or, or wisdom. Uh, I didn't come trying to impress you. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The person of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The work, the person and the work of Jesus I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul said, you know, my purpose in coming to you and giving you the Word of God and doing all this was to proclaim Christ. I didn't come proclaiming him with this, you know, this amazing wisdom or lofty speech. And I didn't impress you with my presentation and my oratory skills. No, I just came and I demonstrated this, the, the, the power of God, the demonstration of the spirit and of power. Well, I just gave you the word of God. I proclaimed Christ, his person and his work, and he does the work. And I'm just going to be faithful to proclaim Christ, to point you to Jesus. Because I don't want your faith to rest in, in mine or the church's wisdom or the, 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 the church's ability. No, I want, I want your faith to rest in Christ and Him alone. And so I'm going to proclaim. I want to give you Christ. I want to point you to Jesus and, and, and turn your eyes on Him. Jesus said, if, if you lift me up, I will draw all men to myself. He didn't say try to convince people and win people over to me. Just 
lift me up and I'll do the work because I do the work through my Holy Spirit, through the Holy Spirit. And so our job is to point you to Jesus, to make him the focal point of everything that we say and do. And so if you get tired of hearing about Jesus, that's because we're doing our job. We're proclaiming Christ. And I hope you never get tired of that, by the way, because that's what our lives are to revolve around. He is to be at the center of all that we say and do. And so our commitment to serve the people, to make the word of God fully known, to proclaim Christ, number four, is to warn everyone with all wisdom. To warn everyone with all wisdom. Verse number 28 says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. And so let me hit that first part. Warning everyone with all wisdom. Warning everyone with all wisdom. This idea of warning, if, if you go back to the Old Testament, there's a great, it's, it's a great word picture here. In Ezekiel 3, we're not going to look at this passage, but Ezekiel 3, 17 to 21 is a great uh, little portion of Scripture that uses this phrase, watchman. And we see this throughout the Old Testament, that God's people would have a watchman in the city, and this person's responsibility was to keep an eye out. They were to watch over the city and they were to watch for uh, impending intruders, uh, those who would attack uh, the city. And they would be on guard, on watch. And their, their job was to give warning in order to, and you see this particular phrase in Ezekiel 3, in order to save his life. The goal of a watchman was to be uh, watching out and to warn the people in order to save their lives. That's what a watchman does to, to warn people of impending destruction. And so our job as the church is to warn you with all wisdom, to warn folks. In other words, we present the word of God, we proclaim Christ, and we do that in such a way with, with wisdom, hopefully that, you know, and Paul said, I, I don't do this with lofty words of man's wisdom, but we want to use God's wisdom to present the word of God in such a way that we're, we're, we want to warn you. We want to warn people of impending judgment, that, that Jesus is going to return, that God's judgment will fall on sin and we have rebelled against God, and, and there is a judgment to come. But there's grace to be found. There is the gift of life and grace and freedom from, from sin, forgiveness from sin that's found in Christ. And so that's, that's our job as the church, is to warn everyone, to point people to Jesus as a way to warn them in order to save their lives. And that's why we've been talking about and praying for our one. Who's your one? Because we're all to operate. All of us as followers of Jesus have this role as watchmen. We're to watch out for the souls of, of men and women, for people and friends that we love, because we want to warn them of what is to come. We want to warn them of judgment, and we want to warn them so that we can save their lives, because Jesus has done what needs to be done by dying on the cross, living a perfect life, dying on the cross, and raising, being raised from the dead in victory over death and sin and hell. And we warn everyone through the word of God, proclaiming Christ in order to save their lives. Because when we put our faith in Jesus, 
we know God and we have eternal life. We are saved from the judgment of God to come. And so that is, that is commitment number four, is to warn everyone with all wisdom. Number five, it's to teach everyone with all wisdom. So if you go back again, verse 28, you saw this. Him, Christ, we proclaim, warning everyone, which we just talked about, and teaching everyone with all wisdom. It's to teach with all wisdom. So when we talk about warning, the idea is we preach the gospel for salvation. We preach the gospel. We want people to be saved from their sin. We want people to be saved from the coming wrath and judgment of God. But then we talk about teaching everyone with all wisdom. And the idea here is, is, is not just preaching the gospel for salvation, it's imparting the gospel to, to you for sanctification, which means your growth, your spiritual growth in Christ. And so we wanna impart the gospel for sanctification and we wanna do that with wisdom. And so we wanna teach the Bible, we wanna impart the word of God, the whole counsel of the word of God. We wanna teach you so that you can, like we saw earlier when we looked at uh, 2 Timothy 3, it talks about all scripture. It's, it's profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete or mature, fully equipped to, for every good work. And so the word of God does that. And so we wanna teach the word of God with all wisdom so that you can, so you can grow in your faith so you can become more like Christ. Matthew 28, we won't look at that passage. Matthew 28, we see the Great Commission when Jesus gives his marching orders to his disciples, his followers, his church. And he says, our, our job, our commission, what we've been left on earth to do is to go and make disciples of all the nations, to tell everyone about the saving grace and goodness of God through the person and work of Jesus. And so we're to proclaim the gospel in all the world. And, and it tells us, go make disciples, teaching them, teaching them to observe all things. In other words, teaching people to obey what God has laid out for us in his word. Teaching them to obey and to follow Christ so you can be who God has called you to be, so you can enjoy the life that God has called you to enjoy. And so that's why we do a lot of teaching in the church. That's why we, we, we want to impart the Word of God to you, because it's by the Word of God that we grow and become the person He's called us to be. So that's our commitment to you, is that we're going to teach everyone with all wisdom. And you know, uh, the gospel is at the center of all of this. The reason we proclaim the gospel, the reason we preach and teach, we, the reason I instruct you, the reason we do this as a church in the word of God, the reason that we put less emphasis on entertaining, less emphasis on you know, the glitz and the glam and all the attractiveness, you know, trying to make everything um, you know, attractive. And not that, not that we avoid that, but we don't put the emphasis there. That's not the priority. The priority is to give you the word of God, to warn and to teach. Because again, the word of God is what we need to help us become who we've been called to become and to do what we've been called to do. And so we want to teach everyone with all wisdom. All right, so number six 
It's to present everyone mature in Christ. Present everyone mature in Christ. Maybe you say mature. Okay, I'm not that mature. Mature. I say mature. Okay, I don't know how it's pronounced. So verse 28, this all again flows together. Christ, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that or so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. We want to present everyone mature in Christ. This is an incredible, incredible statement. And everything is kind of leading up to this. Everything is building to this. We're, we're doing all these things. We're serving you. We're, we're uh, making the word of God fully known. We're proclaiming Christ. We're warning. We're teaching with the end goal of presenting every single one of you, every single person, every single member, every single partner. We want to present you mature in Christ. Now, what does that mean? Think of the word present. Okay, we understand, you know, that word, the way it looks as a, a noun, a present. You know, it's when you're giving, given a gift, something is, 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 is given to you. Uh, but, but think about this as a, a verb, a, a, to present something. You know, when you're presented an award or something is, is given to you. To present means to, to place beside or near. You know, sometimes we might say, I now present to you. Okay, I'm giving you, I'm introducing you to, I'm, I'm putting before you this, right? So our job, our goal is to present you mature in Christ. Well, present to, to, to who? Well, I want you to think about Ephesians chapter 5 with me, this beautiful passage of Scripture, um, and, and you see this picture of Christ and, and, the, and the church in our relationship, uh, us with, with Christ, and it's, it's a picture of a husband and a wife uh, in, in a marriage relationship, and there's this beautiful picture here. Ephesians 5, in verse 25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So husbands, you love your wife the way that Jesus loves us, and he gave himself up for us. That he may, and, and, and see this picture coming here, that he might sanctify her or, or set her apart, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. There's this beautiful picture here, Christ saying that he, he loves the church and he's given himself up for us, and that he he's, sets us apart as his bride, and he cleanses us by the washing of water by the word. The word of God cleanses us, and it washes us of our sin. And the reason he does this is because he wants to present us to himself. He is the husband, he's the groom. And he wants to present us as his bride to him. Pure and holy without spot or blemish in splendor. And this, this is a picture of like a wedding ceremony. You know, this moment where the groom is at the end of the aisle waiting. And, and his bride appears in splendor. She's glorious and beautiful and she's, in, uh, she's arrayed in, in white and she's as beautiful as she ever will be, ever has been or ever will be. She's at her most beautiful and glorious on her wedding day. 
And what typically happens is, is the father or, or some other significant individual, typically in a wedding ceremony, will, will walk his daughter down the aisle. And what's taking place here? He's, he's bringing the bride to the groom and he's presenting her to him in splendor and beauty. She's glorious. She's been cleansed and she's pure white. And this, this father who's had a responsibility over his little girl is now presenting her to him. And now she belongs to him. And this is the picture of Christ in the church that he wants to wash us clean by the, 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 the washing of the water of the word of God so that he can present us to himself, so that God the Father can present us to Christ the Son. And there's this picture here taking place. In, in, in the previous chapter in Ephesians, Ephesians 4, it says that our job as pastors and leaders in the church is to help you help the people of the church become mature in Christ, to grow up in Christ. And so everything that we do as the church, our end goal, our end goal isn't just to hold services and just to collect money and, and to do good things. No, our, our end goal is to present every person mature in Christ. In other words, we want to have a relationship with God that you've been washed by his blood and by the word of his the, by the word of god and that you grow and mature in christ so that you can stand before him righteous robed in his righteousness cleansed and his bride now mature that is our goal to help you grow in christ that is why we do what we do everything's pointing towards that to help you grow up in christ and number seven, our commitment, the church, to its partners is to work hard while relying on his power within us. You know, verse 29, it says, for this, Paul says, I toil, I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. Paul says, man, I, I'm, I'm, I'm all in. I'm, I'm working hard at this. I work, I struggle, but I do so by the power that he has working within me. And so as a church, our position is this, we go all in for you, but we do so relying on all of his energy in us. We go all in for you, relying on all of his power and energy in us and through us. And so this means that we, that we have to pursue Christ, that we have to pursue spiritual maturity, that we live surrendered lives, that we are working for your sakes, but we are doing it all in, in trust and reliance and surrender to Christ himself who empowers us through his Holy Spirit. And so we, we work hard while relying on his power within us. In other words, we're not just doing this, this in our flesh that when we, you know, like for instance, 2020 has been a, a t again, we've, we've been over this over and over, but it's been a tough year for all of us. Uh, but but in, in ministry, for pastors and leaders, I mean, the reality is that 
ministry and working with people and dealing with disappointment and expectations and all these things is difficult for all church leaders and ministry workers. And so we need to be pursuing Christ, but we also need to rest and we also need to re-energize and we also need to be um, surrendering ourselves and resting in the Lord and not pushing through fatigue and pushing through um, weariness in our flesh because what happens is we can do spiritual work but do it in the power of our flesh which wears us out and diminishes us and our effectiveness and it doesn't help you it hurts you and so one of the things that, that I'll say for myself and for our staff is we will we will rest and we will take breaks and we will take vacations and Sabbaths and we'll pursue the Lord hard but we will rest well because we need his energy in us and through us and we need him energizing all of our work you know and sometimes there's a joke like oh man y'all don't do work you rest and you know or you take vacations and you shouldn't you know you're a man of god or you're you're serving the lord you should never take a break and that is that is a lie from the pit of hell every person needs rest and every every one of us needs to rest in christ and find our energy and strength in him and that comes as we sabbath as we rest there's a reason that god instituted sabbath and so i will for the glory of god rest hard as i play hard and work hard and i do that because i want god to use me for your sakes and i thank you all that you are gracious and you allow us to rest and to take days off and to take vacations and enjoy our, our families and all of that stuff. But that's, that is a commitment that I'm not going to waver from. We're not going to waver from. That we will work hard, but we're going to rely on His power within us, which means we have to re-energize and Sabbath as He's commanded us to do. So if I was going to sum up these seven commitments from the church to its partners, I would say it in one line like this. Empowered by the Spirit, again, empowered by the Spirit, the local church commits to serve you like Christ, point you to Christ, and lead you to full maturity in Christ. Uh, that's in a nutshell, encapsulating all seven of those things. Empowered by the Spirit, the local church commits to serve you like Christ, point you to Christ, and lead you to full maturity in Christ. That is the church's commitment. So, what we've seen in Colossians 1, it's a basis for our ministry as, as a church. This is kind of really summing up, this is our, our commitment. But it's, it's more like the, you know, in the wedding ceremony, it's more like the declaration of, of intent. I understand the covenant, I understand uh, our, our part in it, my part in it, and I will do, I will do it. I will give myself to it. You know, so as, as the ones representing the church, what we're saying, Colossians 1, what we're saying is we understand the covenant and our part in it towards you, towards, towards the people, and we will give ourselves fully to it. So Colossians 1, what we're seeing, this is kind of like our declaration of intent. So what about what about the vows? What about this exchange of vows now? What are the specific vows that we are saying we, we, we commit to this? So those are laid out more specifically in what we call our partnership covenant. Our partnership covenant. So 
just real practically in the life of Friendship Baptist Church. If you want to join this church, if you want to be a, a covenant partner with us, the, there's, there's a little bit of a process. It's not, it's not difficult, but it's, it's more than just signing up and saying, yeah, I'm going to do this. Part of this, to become a partner, to join Friendship Baptist Church, it, part of the process is to attend a one-hour partnership class. A one-hour partnership class. And what we do in that partnership class is essentially we walk through our partnership covenant. In other words, this is our responsibility. This, these are our vows to you, church to the partners. And partners would in kind say, okay, we're, these are our vows to, to the church. This is what we're committing to. This is our obligation to one another. And we're going we're gonna to join together, enter into covenant together. And so if, if you want to join friendship or if you even want to transfer from being a member to a partner, which I'm asking all of our folks to do, membership role is cleared and I'm asking everybody to become a, a partner if God is leading you to commit all in here at friendship. We're going to ask you to attend a one hour partnership class just to walk through the partnership covenant and we're going to ask you to, to sign and to agree to this covenant which we will do as well. We will say as a church, we vow this, we, we're obligated, we commit to this. And as partners, you say, we agree to this as well. We enter into this covenant together. So we're gonna have a partnership class on Sunday, December the 6th at 5 p.m. here at Friendship. Sunday, December the 6th, first Sunday in December, 5 p.m., we're gonna have a, a one hour partnership class. And I would love for as many of you that want to join Friendship, whether you're a previous member or maybe you've just been attending for a little bit and you want to commit, you want to go all in, uh, whatever the case might be, we're going to have a partnership class and we're going to have, we're going to throw food in as well. All right. It's probably just going to be something simple like pizza, um, but we're going to do a one hour partnership class. We'll just eat uh, as well, we'll throw in food to entice you to, to join us. Uh, but I would invite anybody who's interested to come on Sunday, December the 6th, 5 p.m. So your next step, here's your next step. If you want to go further in this, if you're, if you're interested, at least in exploring more about being a covenant partner with us, I want to ask you to learn more and to read the covenant. You can actually read through the covenant now by going to our website. It's all online. You can sign up for that partnership class as well. Friendshipwire.com. Friendshipwire.com. That is our website. It's our central hub where you can get all our information. Friendshipwired.com. You'll see a tab or a card there that's marked partnership. Go check that out. You can read about the process. You can download and read the partnership covenant ahead of time. Um, and then next week, we're going to talk more about what your declaration of intent would be in entering into partnership with the church. You know, let me take a minute to end this morning's sermon by telling you about a kid named Hunter. Uh, you know, at our last church that my family and I were at before we came to Friendship, we were in Springfield, Missouri, at a church that we love that um, was committed to the things that we have talked about today in Colossians 1. And one of my roles there was to kind of oversee our, our youth ministry. And, and I believe that was the goal of our youth ministry as well, was the things that we see in Colossians chapter 1 that we talked about today. 
and you know, as, as, as I left, as we left to come here to Friendship, you know, there was some obviously transition and leadership, but the goal remained the same, to do the things that we saw in Colossians chapter one. And I remember a kid named Hunter who, you know, was probably at the time when I first met him, 12 or maybe 13 years old. And, uh, you know, in, in our church, we still had pews and my wife Annette and I would sit in this one particular, it was our spot, it was our pew and, and the, the row behind us um, was this kid named Hunter that was coming um, with his dad. And he kind of kept to himself, he, didn't, he wasn't involved in anything else, but he would come to church with his dad and he kind of was quiet and to himself and shy. But when I would talk to him, man, he would light up and, uh, and he would, he, he would talk about loving when I preached and he was so excited when I would get to preach and it was, it was, it was so cool. I, I, I love when a middle school or a young, um, a young student or kid um, is into my preaching. I mean, I think that's such a cool thing and he would just light up when we would talk and so every time I saw him, I would try to say hey to him and you know, as someone who oversaw our youth ministry, man, I wanted to, I wanted to pull him into our youth ministry because you know, I'm a product of you know, a youth ministry that reached out to me and really loved me well, and it changed my life. And so you know, I was trying to pull Hunter in. I was trying to connect with him as much as I could. And over time, you know, eventually he got connected in our youth ministry and our middle school ministry you know, kind of pulled him in and he started coming. And I remember back in January of 2018, as a youth ministry, we started this new initiative. And it may sound familiar to you. We called it Bring 10. And the idea was that we wanted to bring 10 students to Christ. We wanted 10 students, teenagers, to get saved that semester and really drug out into the rest of that year. But we wanted 10, we were praying for 10 salvations. And we were trying to, you know, it was like, who's your one? We wanted 10 of our friends to come to faith in Christ. And so we started throwing prodigal parties. And the idea was every time a student came to Christ, we wanted to celebrate, just like the host of heaven celebrates whenever one lost sinner comes back to God the Father. And I remember early on in 2018, one of those very first prodigal parties we threw as a youth ministry, um, we celebrated Hunter who had put his faith in Jesus, who had, who had confessed his sin and received the grace of God as a free gift and had been saved. He, he started a relationship with God. And so we celebrated him and we gave him a Bible and we just kind of, you know, had a party for him. And, and I remember that. And I was so like, um, I, I, man, I was so thrilled to see Hunter um, go from you know Sunday morning to man he was dialed in and even after we left our church there to come here he was still going and growing in that youth ministry he went to camp that summer and my boy Aiden was the same age um, you know both of them now 15 years old um, and uh, you know it was cool to, to track the story of Hunter and Last Sunday, we got uh, news that Hunter had had a major seizure. And, and this is something we didn't know. It, it, I think, developed maybe after we left Springfield, but Hunter started having some seizures um, intermittently. And last Sunday, he had a major one. And the initial testing showed that there was some brain and heart damage. In fact, the doctors didn't even think he would survive the day. 
because of the amount of brain swelling. And we got news of this and we began praying. You know, we're praying for a miracle. We're praying that God would intervene and, and, and rescue his life. And a lot of folks began praying for Hunter and he survived the day and he survived Monday, but he didn't make it out of Tuesday. He went home to be with Jesus two days after this, this major seizure and at the age of 15, in the course of two days, this bright, full of life young man um, entered into eternity. And it was a reminder, you know, obviously, we've seen, you know, we've all known people and had people close to us, people we love even, this year die. And death always reminds you of the brevity of life, that it's short, that it's, it's like the Bible says, it's a vapor, it's here today, gone tomorrow. And especially when a young man that's 15 years old uh, loses his life, you're reminded of that. So what's, what's my point in, in telling you about Hunter today? My point is that because of the ministry of, of one local church, Hunter was ready for that day. None of us were ready for that day to come. Hunter's family and his friends were not ready for that day to come. But Hunter was ready for that day. Hunter was, was ready for eternity. Hunter was ready to meet Jesus. Why was that? It's because his life was transformed. He had given his life to Jesus. His eternity in heaven was settled because he, has put, he, had, he, has, he had put his faith in Jesus Christ. He had confessed his sin and he had received the grace of God, the gift of salvation. He had already entered into a relationship with God and so he was ready to enter into eternity. Why? Because one church was committed. One church was committed to its purpose and its people. And that was what we've seen today in Colossians chapter 1. Was that church perfect? Is that church perfect? No. Is our church, is friendship perfect? Absolutely not. But that's not what partnership is about. That's not what covenant is about. Covenant isn't about the ability of either party to, 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 to perfectly uh, perform its promises to one another. Uh, no, it's about committing to one another. It's about trying and succeeding and trying and failing and trying again. And partnership is always covenant. Partnership together is always going to include failure. And, and covenant partnership is always also thankfully going to include forgiveness and grace. And maybe ultimately that's, that's what the beauty, that's the beauty in, in covenant partnership, that it requires us to give and receive grace over and over and over again, just like, just like Christ has extended to us. But it's about this commitment to one another. It's this working together. It's about showing grace to one another. It's about the intimacy that, that forms when we, when we do this, when we partner together for the sake of the gospel. And this church was committed to doing that. And Hunter received that. He was on the receiving end of that. And then he committed 
to, 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 to doing everything that he could be as a follower of Jesus to that church. And, and this was an example of that. And as a church, I want to say this morning that our commitment, empowered by the Spirit, we want to serve you like Christ. We want to point you to Christ because at the end of the day, our goal, at the end of all of it, at the end of everything, we want to be able to present you fully mature in Christ. That is our declaration of intent to you. And what I would love to ask, ask from you is for you to consider, prayerfully consider, prayerfully consider if, if, if you would enter into this partnership with us. Would you do that today? Father God, I just wanna say thank you today for your covenant commitment, your covenant love and faithfulness to us. And Lord, you've called us as a church into this incredible responsibility that we are to serve your people like Christ. And we're to point everyone to the Lord Jesus Christ with this goal of presenting everyone fully mature in Christ. God, I know that as a pastor, as a leader, as, as a church, we fail and we fail often. But Lord, you know my heart, you know our heart, the heart of our, our team and our church leadership. God, that our, our, our desire, our commitment is to do the things that you've called us to do. And though we fail, we're gonna try and we're gonna fail again and we're gonna try and we're gonna succeed, but God, we're committed to this and we're committed to your purpose and we're committed to your people. God, by the grace of God, by the power of your spirit, we wanna keep doing this week in and week out, month in and month out, year in, year out. God, 2020 being no exception, and so, Lord, by the grace of God, by the power of your spirit, help us to continue to hold up our end of the deal. And yet, Lord, I pray for all of your people that are contemplating, that are examining and self-evaluating their own commitment to your church, to this church, or God, whatever church you might call them to. God, would you give wisdom and discernment and direction to every single person that hears this message, this sermon today. God, every one of your people, would you help us to discern our commitment to your church? And God, if you are calling us to be a gospel partner, God, help us to jump in, to go all in with both feet. Lord, that we would become covenant partners with one another, with you for the sake of the gospel. And so Lord, help us today, this week, next week, in these days ahead, Lord, as we, as we commit to covenant partnership, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.